0: you have to understand a little bit about his backstory. And once you do, you'll see that, that David's story is better than any blockbuster movie. David's story is really astounding. He's got a great backstory. And it begins, though, with a guy named Saul. Saul was raised up. And he, it talks about this guy named Saul. He was so good-looking that the Bible says he was more handsome than any other man in the whole land of Israel. You know, in, in, in today's terminology, Saul was hot. I mean, he was... He was smoking. He was better looking than any guy, period. I and mean, that's a lot. The Bible's truthful, right? The Bible speaks truth. It says he was, he was so handsome that like no one could touch him. And not only that, he was, he was so tall from his shoulders up, he was taller than everybody else in Israel. So he's, he's the epitome of this tall, dark, and handsome, uh, the, the best-looking Hollywood movie star you can fathom and probably better looking than that. He was the picture of the kind of guy that you think that God would choose. And so... The people, they clamored for a king. They didn't like the fact that they were ruled by God's word and ruled by a prophet named Samuel. And so they asked for the king. And so God says, okay, fine, you want a king? I'll give you the king you're looking for. I'll give you the king you're asking for. So he raises up Saul. The problem is Saul became really self-sufficient, self-focused. And Saul ended up disobeying God. He ended up, instead of worshiping God, he set up um, sacrifices to himself, really. And Saul, instead of waiting on God's timing, Saul took things into his own hands. Saul relied on his own ability, relied on his own strength. And why it's important is because David really is the antithesis of that, especially in this psalm. And so because of Saul, God called David, who was a man after his own heart. And he sent Samuel to go and get David. And David was an unlikely character. David was the smallest and youngest of eight brothers. And so God sends Samuel to go and call David. David from amongst this tribe of Jesse and he goes through each of the sons and, and Samuel's thinking well this one must be the one because that guy's impressive that guy's impressive that guy's impressive he's like do you have any more sons because none of these God's saying no and he says well I've got one more he's out in the field with the sheep he's a shepherd he's got the lowest job he says well bring him and, and then God says yeah that's the one I want because he's, he's a man after my own heart I don't look on the outside I look on the heart and so God called and chose David And then David, he would go on to slay Goliath, the the largest and tallest of the enemies of Israel, the one who was going to represent the Philistines against Israel, and God raised up David and gave David faith and strength in him. And because of supernatural empowerment, David killed Goliath. And so David becomes a folk hero pretty quickly. Not only is he anointed, David becomes really popular, David becomes so popular that Saul's like, hey, I'm going to give him my daughter, and so he gets to marry the princess. And then he becomes best friends with King Saul's son, Jonathan, the prince. And and they're tight. And everybody loves him and everybody starts singing songs about him. And so Saul's jealousy grew. And so now Saul starts to pursue David. And Saul is wanting to kill him. He's wanting to kill him so much that he was at dinner with his son and his son was making excuses for David and Saul hurls a sword at his son. And so the message is clear. Saul is really... He really means this. If he's willing to kill his own son, he's to kill David. Then he, he, he means business. And so Saul is pursuing David. That's, that's the header we have in the psalm. It's the background here is that, that, that Saul, he is pursuing David to kill him. Saul was the guy who seemed impressive, trusted on his own strength. He, he had all the things, the looks, the strength, the charisma. And yet David was the one that God chose. And yet now we see that God's chosen one, he's on the run. He's on the run, and he's on the run specifically because God chose him. And so he's fleeing, and David, he's going from town to town. And when he goes to a town, they they pretend that they're going to give him shelter, and then they turn him in. And and in every town this happens, they they pretend they're going to give him shelter, and then they turn him in. And so then there's one occasion where Saul's forces are on one side of the mountain, David's forces on the other side of the mountain, and Saul almost catches him. David goes the other way. There's some drama happening here. And in this really horrific circumstance, David, everyone has betrayed him. He's lost everything. Themes things seem bleak. He, He feels like he's about to die. He's got maybe 500 men or so. Saul's got thousands of people after him. Things are bleak. Things are dark. David doesn't find solace in his homeland. He doesn't find solace where his family's from. He doesn't find solace anywhere in the nation of Israel. And so he has to hide in a cave. And if you were him, you might be wondering, like, what in the world's going on? Like, is God's purposes failed? I thought I was the anointed king. Samuel made this big celebration over it, but this is not anything to celebrate. And yet, David he composes this psalm in a cave, not a retreat center. Not when he was on some personal time away with God and he's just so full of God's goodness that he writes this psalm. He wasn't in church. He wasn't experiencing some great situations and circumstances. This wasn't because David had named it and he claimed it and he was, he was healthy, wealthy, and wise. No, this was in the middle of the worst times in the world that he, he wrote this song. That's a song of praise. It's a song of thanksgiving. It's a song that's testifying about God when his circumstances have not gotten better. And you think, how in the world could David do that? How could he be so confident? How could he be so helpful? How could his heart, he says, my heart is steadfast. He says it twice to to emphasize. It's really the key of the entire psalm. It's the center. My heart's steadfast. My heart's steadfast. And you think, how? How in the world, David, you are nuts. How could his heart be steady? How could he write about telling the people about God in this moment and say, and you know what? I really want to go tell everybody about how good God is at the end of the psalm. You think, how, how could, David, how could he do that? Do you? You're writing this in a cave, in a cave where you're in hiding. But it seems clear from the psalm that it's something that that not only does David want people to know, but God wants us to know. And that's that's that God's love, his steadfast love and his faithfulness, that enables us to be confident in all circumstances. Not a false confidence, but confidence in God. Not confidence in our situation, not confidence that things will go okay for us, but confidence that God is steadfast in his love and his faithfulness towards us. The question is, do you know that personally? Do you have that kind of confidence? Confidence in God's steadfast love and his faithfulness to you? Or maybe put it another way, can you worship God in your cave? Can you worship God in your cave? You know, I was thinking often God's people in in history have, have worshiped him best when they've been in the worst, most dire situations. Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress when he was in prison. One of the one of the most books that affected the the ancient world the most. And 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 that was written in the middle of prison. This this book is written in a cave in exile. And and get this. Before you think, well, I David must have done something wrong. No, his, his he was in a cave. He had these challenging circumstances, not because God was displeased with him, but because God had called him. It was God's call that actually resulted in things getting worse and harder for him. And because of the challenges that David faced, his worship, though, becomes so much more meaningful. His testimony is much more powerful. As you see, David, in the situation that he's in, he praises God. And you think, how? Oh, because he understands God's steadfast love and faithfulness. But I can only imagine he must have been tempted to feel, right? He, he's a fugitive, he's on the run, he's, he's lost the princess, he's lost his best friend, the prince, he's, he's, he's lost everything that he can hope in around him. And yet this passage is it's marked by steadfastness in three sections. Look, look in verse three and then look down your Bibles, I think it's verse seven. Verse three, God will send out his steadfast love and faithfulness. Verse seven, my heart is steadfast, God, my heart is steadfast, and then again, in verse 10, it says, your steadfast love is great to the heavens. This, this, is, this is the theme of the entire song is God's steadfast love that enables him to be steadfast. And there's something in there for you as well. If you're wavering, if you're wondering, I want that kind of steadfastness. Well, we, If we want to be confident in the midst of circumstances, we need to see God's steadfast love and his faithfulness for us. As I read the psalm, I think, I want to be like David. Do you, you, you think that? I want, I want to, how does he do that? How does he write like that? How can David be so confident? Because I, I believe God has this here because God wants us to actually respond like this. God wants us to have a steadfast heart as well. And the only way we'll be like that is if, if we meditate on God's steadfast love and his faithfulness for us. And that's what I think in the verse, three verses we're going to see is that because of God's steadfast love and faithfulness, we can be sure of God's purpose for us. And he says, God, your purposes will not fail. Your purposes for me will not fail. And you might think, hey, hang on. When you were in the palace, married to the princess, friends of the prince, and you were the folk hero of everybody, and everybody was singing your praises, that would have seemed like the time where you could be confident in God's purposes. But now, David, he's got no one to turn to. He's got no refuge, no sanctuary. He couldn't trust his country. He's fled to this cave, and the thing is, though, when he's singing, he's not singing about his confidence in the cave as his refuge, because you know, cave could just as well be a stronghold or a prison in a trap. It was cold and hard, and it could have been his tomb. And yet what David is singing about, what he is trusting in, isn't this hard cave, isn't this rock? Instead, he trusts in a better rock. He trusts in God as his rock, God as his refuge. His and then he he puts it in terminology that's really vivid. And now you may not think of God this way, but he he puts it in terminology of, of God being like having wings, of like a mother hen spreading wings out of her chicks. And he's he's turning his heart to God because he knows that's God's character and his nature. God is not some distant, far away God who wants to make us prove ourselves. No, God says, Come here. Come here, come under my wings. And so David turns to him. He doesn't, he doesn't turn and ask, did you notice something? In this situation, I would have prayed, I would have said, hey, God, could you give me a battle strategy maybe? Like, could you give me a plan of how to, how to kill Saul? Like, how to take him down? Could you send some crack fighters my way? Could you, could you strike Saul? Could you kill him? I mean, I, I'd be desperate. I'd be praying all kinds of prayers, but, but David doesn't pray that. He, he says, instead of asking God to send some rescue plan. He says, God, send your steadfast love and faithfulness. That's what he wants the most. He doesn't send a thing. He says, God, send your steadfast love and faithfulness because in that I'm secure. If, if, if you have God's steadfast love and faithfulness, Christian, no matter what you is taken away from you, no one can ever take away God's steadfast love and faithfulness. In him you're secure. No matter what you lose, no matter what's taken away from you, you can be secure in his steadfast love. And the only safe place place for believers is, is finding refuge in God because no one can ever take God from us. We're never unsafe ultimately in him. So David, he cries out to God and he, he cries out like a child in need and he's desperate. And, and you might not ever be called to the kind of life David led. You might not have the same kind of powerful anointing, but, but you can seek the same God that David sought. You can have the same steadfast love and faithfulness that David experienced. And she, is it notice that that nurturing image, or imagery of a mother hen? It's you know I, our, my neighbors have chickens. They have lots and lots and lots of chickens. <laughs> I can't say I'm thrilled about it, but um, they also have lots and lots of roosters, and I'm definitely not thrilled about that. But that would go away from the illustration. So. They have lots and lots of chickens. And one day, one of these chickens came over to our yard, and it roosted right outside of my bedroom door, right in the flower bed. And I really wanted to get rid of the chicken. I mean, I mean, relocate it. And um, <laughs> I wanted to help it go back home, and, uh, or to its ultimate home. But uh, this chicken, I went to say, like, hey, Julie, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... Take this chicken away. And Julie says, no, 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 don't mess with it. It's, it's, it's brooding. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, it, it laid eggs and it's sitting on them. So we left it alone and it sat there. And a, a baby chick was born in our yard. And this thing hung around for so long. But um, whenever you go near the mother hen, I mean, we're pretty large compared to this little, little hen. Whenever you go near, open the door, she immediately would put her wings up. And this little chick would run under the, the wings of the chicken. And the chicken would make all kinds of noise and be defensive and loud and aggressive. And there are all kinds of threats all around our yard. I mean, there's cats. There's these eagles that fly over. That I hope. I mean, that I hope don't get the neighbor's chickens. And there, are, there are potential predators are all around. And what happens in all of those chickens when 70 plus chickens, whatever they have, roaming around? Um, what happens is when there's a threat. The same thing happens in all of those mother chickens. They, they all spread their wings out when they see the shadow of an eagle coming over or maybe when we had a bobcat go to the neighborhood last year. They, they put their wings out and the, the chicks go under immediately and they scurry to their mom and, and they go into protection mode, the, chick, the chicken does. And they, felt they shelter them physically and they're willing to, to really give their life for the chicken. They shield them from danger, they keep the chick warm and comforted. And that's the imagery here that David wants us to see. But God is no mere chicken. He's not small. He says, look in in verse 2, I cry out to God most high. This is God who's able to cover you in a way that no one can get to you. To defend you in a way that, that no one can ultimately hurt you to keep you in him, to keep you comforted and safe and warm. He is able to do more than anyone because he's God most high. It's the same kind of desire that Jesus had for Israel that he was was lamenting of the fact that, that Israel didn't come under his protection, that didn't trust in him, didn't rest in him. And so in Matthew 23, Jesus says, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones that are sent to it, how often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. It's as foolish for us to trust in our strength and our ability as it is for a chicken to run out from his mother's wings into danger. And, and Jesus is correcting Israel and really us, we need to see that safety, true safety, true protection, true comfort is only found under God most high in his wings. And then he says something else here that's really astounding. David's prayer, it was based on knowing something. It was based on knowing that, that God is the one who'll fulfill his purpose. David, see, he's not trying to take things into his own hands. If this was me, if I was anointed king, and maybe maybe you, if you were given a job. You'd be like thinking, how do, I, how do I actually start to do the job? How do I, what do I need to do? What changes do I need to make in order to get into this position? So for David, he's like, I was anointed king, so how do I go and take the kingship, right? But that's not what he says. He's relying on God. He says, God will fulfill his purpose for me. God will fulfill his purpose for me. And that's, that's really crazy because The princess is gone. His best friend, the prince, is not there. He's living like an animal in a cave. He'd be completely desperate. And he says, like, storms of destruction are all around me. And he says, no, God most high will fulfill his purpose for me. Because he is not relying on himself to fulfill God's purpose for him. He knows that God is the one who will and can. Do, Do you know that? Are you trying to fulfill whatever purpose you think God is calling you to, holding on to it desperately, and when you see it not happening, do you get really upset and really bothered? Are you saying, oh, no, this isn't happening. I thought God called me to this. He doesn't make it happen. And David says, no, God, most high, he'll fulfill his purpose for you. And he doesn't say God, most high, as if God is far away. What he means is nothing can get in his way. There's nothing that comes between God and his people. Nothing can take God away. Nothing can keep God's purposes from being carried out. You know, I, I, I've seen bears before with their little cubs, and, and the mother bears be, tend to be defensive about their baby bears. And if you try to step in between a mother bear and a baby bear, there's a problem, or at least a potential problem, that, that mother bear is going to want to make sure that baby bear gets to where it needs to go. And if you're separating them, they'll turn their anger towards you. And it's this kind of way. God is most high. He is the one that he will fulfill his purpose. He's going to make sure you get to where you, he has you going. Not where you think you're going, but where he has you going. And it's his good purpose for you. And no one can thwart it. And you think, well, how did David know that? David, he most likely had, had read his His Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible that Moses had written. And so he would have been aware of the story of Exodus and how God had orchestrated things to protect and to rescue his people. But he did it through all kinds of calamity. And he did it in order to Glorify his own name. And it tells us about that in Exodus 9. He says, he's speaking to Pharaoh. God is speaking to Pharaoh through Moses. He says, for by now, I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I've raised you up to show you my power so that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God has a purpose for you, and it's to declare his name to show his glory, for him to be glorified in you, and nothing will keep that from happening. It's, it's kind of like the story of Job that David would have read as well in and, and Job 42. And Job, he is the entire book is all about the, the bad things that have been happening to Job and everybody's trying to figure out why these bad things happen. And in the end, Job, the, the lesson that he learns is relatively simple and Job, he answers back to God at the very end of the book of Job. He says, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You know, you know, maybe your life has not turned out the way you thought it should so far. Maybe you feel like the storms of life are raging. Maybe you feel like you're in a cave. Maybe the plans about how to figure out where, how do I get to where I think God's calling me, they seem to have fallen apart. Here's the encouragement from David. Don't trust in what you see. Trust in God who's steadfast, who loves you, who is faithful. Don't trust in your feelings. Trust in, in God most high, who will shelter you under the shadow of his wings. But you know, worship like David's, it's it's only possible when you believe that God is most high above all other gods. Do you believe that? Are you trusting in him? Are you running to him for shelter? Now, when you think about David, you think, well, isn't this a little different? Because wasn't David an anointed king? Isn't he a forerunner of Christ? He's unique in covenant history. Well, that's true. And ultimately, David's promises or the purpose for David was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And, but the reality is, is that for all who put their trust, their faith in Jesus Christ, all of these promises to David can be true, can be ours. If you're trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and new life, then the promises of Christ are yours in Christ. The Apostle Paul knew that. He says in Philippians 1, he says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He'll fulfill his purposes for you. He'll sin from heaven and save. He says he'll put to shame those who trample you. And, you know, he'll put to shame the accuser of the brother's. He'll put to shame those who accuse you. He'll sin from heaven. His steadfast love has saved you. We can be sure, no matter what it seems like, God will fulfill his purpose for us too because his steadfast love and his faithfulness for us in Jesus. Not only that though, he'll enable us to be steadfast in our hearts. That's what we see in the very middle. David is steadfast in his heart because he's been meditating on the steadfastness of God. So because of God's steadfast love and faithfulness, we can be steadfast in our hearts. That's the second thing we need to see. Because of God's steadfast love and faithfulness, we can be steadfast in our hearts. It doesn't mean that things have changed. Look at how David describes the situation. This isn't great, right? Looking at your Bibles at verse four. My soul is in the midst of lions. I feel like my very life is gonna be just destroyed and eaten up. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man. He says, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. He's not pretending. He's not saying everything is great. No, he's saying, but in the midst of lying down amongst fiery beasts, in the midst of lions, in the midst of these people who who they want to, everything they say with every breath that they have, they want to kill me and they speak bad things about me. Their weapons are like mouths, their tongue's cut deep, their sharp swords, they're ready to eat me up. This this is the stuff of your worst nightmares. You think, well, fine, that's fine for David. He must have had a good life. Well, read this psalm. Maybe your soul's in the midst of lions. Maybe you feel like you're lying among fiery beasts. Maybe people are speaking bad things about you. Maybe you feel like people want to harm you. Maybe your soul's in the midst of lions. David refuses to give into his enemies and he refuses to give up. He, he appeals to God to be exalted. And in fact, he's saying, God, things are really horrific. Please glorify yourself. Because he knows that, that, that God's glory is demonstrated as he redeems and rescues and saves his people. So he says, God, things are bad. Please glorify yourself. Show that you are above all the heavens and the earth. Don't do this for my glory, but do this for your glory, God so that everybody else may know you. And you know, God's deliverance of his people from his enemies is is one of the key ways that God's exalted, so that that God's majesty and his glory are truly seen. And look at verse six, it says, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. They've fallen into it. His enemies set this trap. I remember when I was a kid, I saw this, this old movie called Swiss Family Robinson. I don't know if it's still around on, I don't know, reruns on PBS or something. But, this family is marooned on this island and, and pirates, they see pirates that are coming to get them and they're, they're far enough out in the ocean that they can, they can see they're coming and so they get ready. They set up all kinds of booby traps for the pirates and they set this net on the ground covered up with leaves and they have this rope go up and so the idea is as the pirates go into this snare, it's going to be activated and the net's going to go up and it's going to catch them in the net. And then they, they dig a big hole, a big pit for them and they cover it over with these small branches and twigs and they put leaves on top of that and they make it look like the path around it. And then the idea is they're gonna entice the pirates to run after them and the pirates will fall in the pit. That's, that's the same thing that David's talking about here. Maybe that's where the writer for Swiss Family Robinson got the idea. They set a trap. But David was saying, he, he's, it's not yet happened, by the way. He's still in the cave when he's writing this. But he has eyes of faith that have faith and confidence that no matter what trap his enemies set, God will reverse things, because that's what God does. And so he sees with eyes of faith, and he says that God will make it so his enemies fall into the pit themselves, because he's trusting in God to glorify himself, and he's trusting in God's protection. So he really could declare, he says, in verse seven, my heart's steadfast because of that. I, I, things are not what they should be, and my enemy's setting traps for me, but I know that they' it's going to be like they fall into the trap themselves. And so my heart is steadfast, not because the circumstances changed yet, because he's writing this in the cave. but his heart is steadfast because he sees the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. What made his heart steadfast was not as circumstances, but as God. Is your heart steadfast today? If not, where are you looking? Where are you trusting in? What are you hoping in? What's making you intimidated? What's making you fearful? Look and see the steadfast love of God, That the desires for you to come under his wings, find his protection from him, find all the purposes that he has for you in him, fulfilled in him. And then because of that, we, we can sing out a testimony about God. Because of God's steadfast love, it's the third thing we need to see. The final thing we'll see in verses 8 through 11 really is because of God's steadfast love and faithfulness, we can sing out our testimony. And you think, that's nuts. That's nuts. But David, in the middle of things, he doesn't become despondent or depressed or discouraged. He goes, no, I, I know that God's going to deliver me. And he starts saying that, I'm going I'm to tell the whole nation, all the nations, I'm going to start singing about it. And he breaks into a musical. He says, awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I'll awaken the dawn. This is some vivid language. He's determined he's not going to stay in darkness. He's going to awaken the dawn by by making music to God. You know, normally the dawn wakes you up. But he says, no, I'm going to sing so loud that I'm going to wake the dawn up. I'm going to sing of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness. Because he's meditating on the character of God. Now, if you are a Christian here, that's something for us to take away. David was so steeped in God's word, and who God is, and that's just from the probably from the first five books of the Bible. He he could see though time after time, whenever God's people would go straight, God continued to be faithful. God, His love, His covenant love, continued to pursue them to draw them, and he was filled with praise. And maybe you're discouraged today. Go back and to God's word and, and look for every time where God's faithful. Time, if that's what we have. That's why we have all those accounts to prove to us, to show to us, to give us certainty. And and do that in your own life as well. Look back and see in your own life those times when you've been unfaithful and yet God has been faithful. When God has pursued you with a steadfast love. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ here, he's pursued you, he's drawn you. That's proof of his love. It's proof of his faithfulness. And so David, he breaks out into song. He says, I'm gonna give thanks to you, God, among the peoples. And then he says, not just there, but among Israel, but among the nations. David here, he is, he's saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell my story, I'm gonna testify, I'm gonna give my testimony, and that's, that's gonna be the way I evangelize. Have you ever met somebody who really loves something? Um, you know, when I remember, I don't know, 12 years ago or so, I, I got my first memory foam mattress it revolutionized my life. Um, I'm, this is not a, by the way, it's not a sales pitch. I'm not getting paid for sponsoring any memory foam. Um, but my, I had had back issues, back pain for many years, several injuries as a kid doing dumb stuff. And, and so somebody told me about this, I'm like, okay, sure. And so we tried it out. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute, I'm actually sleeping better. And when you sleep better, you feel better. And, and I became this like evangelist for for mattresses, and and, and, and I'm not encouraging you to go out and buy a mattress now, but I became a mattress evangelist because I was excited about it. It had changed me. It affected me in a way that was good. Now, if you've ever met somebody who does CrossFit, they they might come across the same way. Telling you about how great it is, and you're like, sure, okay. You can get up at five and do that. That sounds great. But sometimes it's really compelling. I go out to eat, and somebody tells me of this Great dessert. Oh, I've tried this dessert. You've got to try that. I'm like, oh yeah, i got to try that. That's what it's like. David, David is so aware of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness that it enables him. That is his testimony. That is his witness. That is his evangelism. And the same is meant to be true for us. Remember all the ways that God has rescued you. All the ways that he's sheltered you. All the ways that he's changed you. And and how how does Jesus shelter us? Well he shelters us from shame, from condemnation, from words that are like arrows and spears. And Jesus says, No. Now I'm going to speak words over them of forgiven. Words of peace, words of grace, words of cleansing. So no longer you have to be afraid of words to be spoken against you. People can say the worst things about you. It doesn't matter because Christ has already said about you what is true, which is that you are righteous in him. You're completely holy, blameless in him. He, he's sheltered you from, from not only sin and shame, but he's sheltered you from punishment. The, the enemy dug a pit. The enemy prepared a place for you The enemy hopes to to put you into hell, into a pit, and yet the great reversal, Jesus himself took our sins. And so now in the end, the very means that the devil thought would make us go to the pit is actually where the devil will be put. The enemy will be put down one day because of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness so that God's name might be magnified in all the earth. David's grateful to God and he acknowledges him as high above the heavens in all circumstances. His desires that that God's glory spread throughout all the earth. Why? Because he's aware of God's salvation and God's rescue. And for you as a Christian, God has saved us and rescued us even greater than David. Where do you see the steadfast love of God most clearly? God loves you so much that he sent his son, that he put up with sinful humanity, And he put up with not getting the worship and the credit he deserved while he was on earth and he encountered every temptation and said no to every temptation. He was steadfast, steady, faithful because he loved us and he was faithful and he endured even to the point of shedding blood and shedding blood on the cross. He was faithful and steadfast to the very end. So now in him, he keeps you faithful and steadfast the very means of the devil sought to kill Jesus. You know, the devil thought he was winning with Jesus on the cross, thought that was the place of demonic victory, and yet that was the place of Christ's victory. And now he shields us from our greatest predators. Jesus shields us all the way until death. And, and he says, what can man do to me now? I, people might be able to kill us, but they're not gonna ultimately kill our souls. And we're gonna live forever. And he's even gonna raise our bodies up and be perfect. So In perspective, that's the best kind of protection. And so it's possible for our hearts to be steadfast in the midst of the worst circumstances, confident that God's purposes will be fulfilled for us, that He has saved us. He will save us all the way to the end. All of our enemies will be put to shame, and we will forever know His steadfast love and faithfulness. That is compelling. And if you get that, you're going to want to sing to the nations. You want some encouragement? Like, hey, I'm not doing so great in my evangelism. Start meditating on steadfast love and faithfulness of, of God to you. That is what will be inspiring as you share just what God saved you from, how he keeps you, how he preserves you. And this divine deliverance that you received will lead to divine worship and a compelling testimony. Amen? Let's pray. God, would you... Tell us all the ways, Lord, that you have been steadfast in your love and faithfulness. Remind us of who you are, your character, Lord. Help us trust in you, not in ourselves. May we look to you, not look to ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.